You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you all on a game day in the Crescent City. Yes, it is Thursday, and the Pelicans take on play. Portland up 2-0 for the first game in the Smoothie King Center. It's game three, and this is going to be a lot of fun. It's a red out is what it's sounding like it's going to be here in the Smoothie King Center as the Pelicans are giving away red shirts. So wear your red gear, which tends to be what most fans are going to be wearing anyway. So for this episode, we're going to mix it up. We don't need to do as many previews and deep dives on this because we've already done that for two games and you guys already know a lot about what's going on here. So what we're going to do is bring on Scott Kushner of the New Orleans Advocate to kind of talk about things a little bit, this series, this team overall, and the general feeling here in New Orleans. And then after that, I'm going to make a mention of one or two things we might see tonight that could potentially maybe help Portland and what they'll try and do and how the Pelicans are going to be trying to counter that. It's a little bit different format here as we get ready for game three. And then of course, we'll be back tomorrow to recap everything and then preview the game over the weekend. I've got another guest lined up for that too and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited. So without further ado, let's just jump into it here. Joining me now on Locked on Pelicans, I've got Scott Kushner, beat writer for the New Orleans Advocate covering the Pels. Scott, thanks for joining me. Absolutely, man. How are you? I'm doing This is fun, right? I'm doing well. The Pelicans are doing well up 2 and 0. It doesn't get much better than this if you're a New Orleans basketball fan right now. Yeah, it only gets better if uh, if you were my wife and we were out of the playoffs. That would be uh, <laughs> your, your my son job might all. Well, your son just doesn't care either way. He's like, I don't care if they're up or not. If uh, if we at the Advocate did not have to cover the playoffs anymore, uh, or not to cover basketball anymore, that would really make the rest of my family uh, very happy. But instead, you know, all of these people listening to the podcast uh, are much happier. So. Good for all of you. <laughs> You're doing it for <laughs> the people, right? Do it for the You do what the job uh, requires. So uh, here we are. No, it's been, it honestly has been a lot of fun uh, to watch this team reinvent itself and this team kind of capture some people's imagination after uh, just the last few years of, of it really just felt like kind of showing up and they were flipping the burger a little bit. You know, it was like it, it felt very repetitive and it felt very stale uh, around that building and uh, it has been a lot different the last few months and it, it, it's been a lot of fun uh, especially watching them come down to the end here and, and this is a, just a fun group to cover it's a fun group to talk to and it's a uh, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch the last couple of games just the, the style they're playing at I don't know how anybody can come away bored uh, from from this team right now no it's it's also nice to have a team that really seems to care and try and not just kind of pack it on in and, and and just give up in certain games and you've seen that kind of the mental toughness they get down and they're not really worried they feel they can come back from anything and kind of weather any run that Portland or any team's going to throw at them yeah, I uh, I think that's been a major part of it. And uh, when you talk to those guys on the in the roster, 
and they'll they point a lot of it to just the chemistry that they have built in that locker room. And I, I think we first started hearing about that uh, right around when that that winning streak with uh, with Demarcus when they won what was that nine to ten, uh, you know, going right before uh, Cousins got injured. You started hearing them talking like these guys. You know, we actually, you know, uh, I think Holiday said it. he's like we actually legitimately like each other. He's like, this isn't <laughs> that's like, a good uh, thing, probably. <laughs> yeah, legitimately like, liking your yeah, teammates. Like, this isn't just like a thing where you know we were. I mean, you know, it got to make sense. Like, how often is an NBA team? I mean, you're just getting rosters thrown together. There's not really, you know, it's not like these guys chose to play together, um, and so you do end up a lot of times with guys who. I have a professional relationship, but don't really care uh, about each other off the floor. And I think that is not the case with this team. Uh, this is a team that is definitely close. I think I mean, you, they they dinner together, they go out together, they they do stuff together. They, it is um, not a group that uh, just kind of says goodbye at the practice facility and and goes home. And uh, I think Rondo had a great line about that last night. I don't know if you saw that in the post game. Uh, they was like, oh yeah, there was a story that you know Dame and and CJ text each other after the game. He's like, well, AD uh, Drew and I were were sitting in the film room in the at the hotel. Yeah, know, the, the, I, morning. the story about Lillard and McCollum, they were eating dinner separately at different places. One was at like a super nice restaurant. One was at like a diner, and they're just texting each other. And it's like, yeah, these guys are actually hanging out and around each other, and that seems to make a world of difference. Particularly if you got Rondo with them in the film room. What was the what was it that AD said about him before the start of the series? He was up till like whatever hour in the morning, just watching film and then calling out Portland's plays in Game One. Yeah, and and that's and I think that's uh, that's one of the things that AD actually said when they started the series. He's like. He goes, the playoff Rondo is the guy who can watch, you know, 40 hours of tape on the same team. He's like, he's going to know every single thing they're doing. Um, he's like that. He goes, a lot of that is what playoff Rondo is, is that he's a guy who can fully scout every opponent as compared to in the midst of an 82-game season. I mean, if you're on a back-to-back, how much film can you possibly watch, uh, you know, of a team the night before and seeing what they're doing lately and all that kind of stuff? Uh, and he's invaluable. And that, that Alvin Gentry's talked about it all year, which is that, you know, he has every making uh, of a coach going into the future. I actually think he's coaching that the tournament. What is that, the, the three-on-three uh, oh, tournament? Oh, Yeah, he's coaching, like, three kids from Louisville, uh, three guys from Louisville. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even and, know that. I mean, yeah, and I, th- I think it's just – kind of in his DNA. He wants to be a coach. I mean, he's going to be a coach and you can just see it. It's so obvious, but he's also proving he's got plenty left in the tank uh, to play when he really wants it. And uh, these last four or five games he's had, he's had it been absolutely tremendous revelatory. Yeah. Yeah. He had what six turnovers the other night, and you can live with that if he's given you everything he's given you on the court and just the the geometry of it all changes when he's out there. It's been unbelievable. And, the Pelicans aren't winning these games without him right now. Yeah, uh, I, I just—it's such a crazy thing to think like this guy was basically on the street. I mean, he got waved by the Bulls, and they're not paying him a whole lot at all. Uh, the Pelicans are. He's like he was kind of available to anybody. Now they made a, a, a strong recruiting pitch. They all, you know, Demarcus and AD and uh, Del Demps and Alvin Gentry all kind of made their pilgrimage to Louisville to go visit Rondo and get him on board. And, and he said in September the reason that he signed was for this exact reason: is he felt this team was talented enough 
to do something besides just make the playoffs. And I think a lot of us in the media, especially kind of like laughed it off as like, look, if this team makes the playoffs, that's an accomplishment on its own. Uh, I don't think you need to start thinking about, you know, doing whatever you're going to do in the playoffs. But he had that in mind, which was, I want to get to the playoffs and I want to win. And I, I need guys around me who can help me do that. And, uh, and now he's got it. I mean, it's, it's to see Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday kind of mesh off of Rondo uh, is, has been impressive and it fits so well. I mean, it's just like you watch them play and you're like, this makes so much sense what they're trying to do. And, uh, and adding Miritich, I think was a critical part of that as well, because without Miritich, I think this team is a lot different. Yeah. You need someone who could still space the court for Anthony Davis and I, I, you want to kind of almost liken him to Ryan Anderson, but when Anderson's three-point shot wasn't falling, he wasn't giving you a ton out there other than some kind of atrocious-looking fadeaway shots at times. <laughs> but here, you have a guy, his defense in this series alone has been worth whatever you traded for him, let alone the shooting and the scoring that he then adds on top of that. Yeah, he's been, he was stopping guys, with the, he was stopping the ball yesterday over and over again. Uh, he rebounds, he plays tough, he He's physical and throw an elbow into guys. Uh, he's he's damn good when in the right circumstances. The problem is that his shot, I think, you know, it comes and goes. Uh, he can make it though, and he can create his own, which is like you said with Ryan Anderson. Like each one more and Darius Miller can't do that. They have to be open to make a shot. That that shot that Nico Miritich hit with about two minutes left to retake the lead, which ended up being the lead for good. He was completely covered, and he was, what, four feet beyond the three-point yeah, line? Yeah, he just, shot a rainbow just there. rainbowed that thing in. And it, this that goes back to something that I got – a guy yelled at me at the Smoothie King Center over, I think, on opening night a couple of years ago, trying to tell me that Steph Curry doesn't make his – create his own shot, and then he's overrated. And then Curry comes in and hits like a 38-foot three that rainbows in over an outstretched Anthony Davis. And it's like that counts as making your own shot, I think. Uh, yeah, that would I, I would say Steph Curry creates his own shot. I don't think that's a uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a controversial take. He can uh, yeah, that guy can figure it out. Uh, but I just you know when you think they traded Miritich for whatever what's going to be the twenty second pick uh, and Omar Hashik and you know the expiring deals of of you got a uh, second round pick back Cody too. Allen. Yeah, and you got your own second round pick back. So I yeah. just think. Uh, that's going to go down as, as one of the most important moves. If they were to win a couple more games in this series, I think that'll cut out as one of the most important moves this team ever, has ever made. Yeah, well, so you mentioned it. Mirtich uh, on the road has looked really well, and his shot can kind of go in and out. But one area he has oddly struggled with, though he got better in that Spurs game and towards the end of the season, was at home. And this Pelicans team, though they have the same record at home on the road, doesn't seem to think that it's like the friendly confines of the Smoothie King Center for him, at least. No, this team has just kind of been uh, average at home, and they um, they have you know they have the same record on the road as they have at home, and they will be the first ones to tell you they have let a ton of games slip away at home, uh, and it's been a real problem for them all season long. They've talked about it. Alvin Gentry, in particular, and AD, uh, in addition, have always every home game is like we have to learn to protect home floor, and they've been better the last six, seven weeks of the season. I mean, the team has been better in general. Um, but, you know, they still dropped a couple of those home games. The Oklahoma City, they didn't look very good against Portland. Uh, whatever, on I think it was the last week of March, they didn't look very yeah. good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 
during that stretch of four and five, it looked like they had settled those problems, but then you had some other issues. And really outside of San Antonio to end the season, uh, you didn't really see anything beyond that. That was kind of the end of the year. So I'm curious to see how they look coming back home. I would expect uh, them to at least be able to win one of these two. Uh, but I think a lot of people are just kind of automatically assuming that just because they're coming back home, they have this gigantic advantage uh, when that has really not been the case this season to this point. No, and, and now Portland has got Harkless back, and I think you'll probably see him in the starting lineup because maybe they finally can create some matchup problems for the Pelicans on the wing there. But they're going to adjust, and it's still Lillard. It's still McCollum. They've been inefficient. Those are still good guys who know how to kind of handle traps and get out of it. And you saw it kind of a little bit in the beginning of the other night's game where you saw those passes right from Lillard as he knew he was going to get trapped. At a certain point, they're going to be able to break these and maybe get back in and win one of these games in the series yes uh, I think <laughs> there's gonna be a, a stretch where Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum hit shots they're not supposed to make uh, they have done this for years now uh, that they make shots that are basically impossible to defend the Pelicans have done a remarkable job of blitzing so many pick and rolls and being able to jump out on them and kind of getting the ball out of Lillard and McCollum's hands forcing them to play in the mid-range kind of getting them away from the three-point line and certainly getting them away from open shots. And that has been a, uh, a massive help uh, to where they've been trying to do. But I just, at some point, the, the camels, you know, the straw is going to break. <laughs> you know, like They're going to do something. This is, this is a good team. There's a reason this team won 49 games a season. They're not just going to roll over and die. Uh, I do think winning game three is going to be a huge step for this team though, because you can, we've seen it. I think, you know, you mentioned at the time in 2015, how psychologically defeated the Pelicans were entering game four after they were already they, down. They, they were done after that comeback. And I remember it because I was so excited for those home playoff games and game three was wonderful and fun. And then it took the energy out of the crowd for game four. You could see the Pelicans just didn't want to be there after that comeback. And they, you just saw they were cooked going in before tip off. Yeah, it kind of feels like an impossible climb uh, when you're at that point of 3-0, and it's proven to be I, – I, I'm not certain. I don't think the NBA has ever had a team come back from 3-0 um, in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, there's some examples in baseball um, and hockey, but I don't think anyone in the NBA has ever done it before. So it would be obviously extremely – rare, which makes even more importance on Game 3 here. Uh, I'm just curious to see how Portland adjusts. Uh, they clearly need to put an extra body on Drew Holiday. They clearly need uh, to do something to, to get Lillard and McCollum free. I don't know if they're going to set stagger screens, double screens. Their adjustment was basically to pass out of all of those traps, which worked in the first half, but then when Nurkic went out and the Pelicans adjusted a little bit at halftime, they really had no answer, and their offense kind of disappeared, with the exception of a couple of stretches from CJ McCollum. But I'm, you know, this is where the playoffs get fun. It's kind of seeing all the tweaks and seeing what happens, uh, and particularly in this case of the Pelicans. I mean, they are not resting on what's going well. They are continually changing what they're doing, and I think that's a lot of credit to Alvin Gentry's staff. Yeah, so is this season or these these two playoff wins, even if they say go 0-4 the rest and lose in six in this one, is this vindication for Gentry and Demps a little bit? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, that, that I mean, clearly. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, an obvious answer. 
Yeah, I mean, the, no doubt. Like, this is what they have. Everybody's been complaining about what they didn't have, um, and for for years uh, about that this roster isn't versatile enough, this roster isn't good enough, and that they've been, you know, they've gotten they have no picks and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, what they did was they just kept kind of pounding at the rock here. Uh, they didn't trade Anthony Davis and try to start over from scratch and do, you know, like. Uh, all these processes of like what Chicago's undergoing right now. They didn't do that. Um, and I think they could have probably sold that. Uh, and it probably would have been honest to God easier than what they were doing, which was just continually trying to get these like scrappy veterans or whatever, and see what chemistry you can kind of pull together. And it worked. <laughs> year. Yeah. They're I mean, here now. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got Ian Clark, who's on a minimum contract and you've got Darius Miller who's on a myriad minimum contract and you traded for Nico and you just like they found a way to piece the roster together. Now, did he really know that Drew Holiday was going to turn into this guy? I'm not entirely sure, uh, but it certainly feels uh, like they knew his best basketball was in front of him, but this has been a whole other level. I mean, he's a top five guard right now. Oh, and shoot. You- it's, it's not crazy. even all defense. You should, if he stayed this level of play, you'd be looking at all NBA for him, and maybe should get a little more consideration than he will likely for, say, third team or something like that. But it's even the most optimistic Drew Holiday people. I don't think we're expecting this. No, uh, clearly not. Um, that is a uh, that is a, a major concern, and so. I, it all worked out. I mean, when you pay $25 million, uh, that's what you, you are hamstrung to such a high degree that you are so reliant on these guys paying off. And Drew Holiday not only paid off, he became double the player than they probably ever, than most people probably ever foresaw him becoming. Yeah, he's been, he's probably the best player in this series, more so than Anthony Davis, which really says a lot in everything. So, as this series switches to New Orleans, it's like Pelicans fever right here in the city right now. And you wrote about it. So is it, it, it's, it always makes me laugh when it's like, yeah, there's a dozen people in the bar and we all want to watch the Pelicans games. But that's a really big thing here a little bit. It, it's, it, people kind of underrate it as far as like, you need people in the city to care uh, about this team. Like I, I, it's, it is, it's the smallest market in the league. Uh, if you don't have people who care, uh, why is the team here? You know, I'm like, this yeah. is, it's, this is pretty cut and dry. Like the only reason the team is here is because people are supposed to care about it. And if not, if nobody cares, then what is the point of being here? You know, like this is, mm-hmm. and Gail Benson has said all the right things and done all the right things. And the league has said all the right things. And, uh, David Stern was pretty upfront with me when I talked to him after Tom Benson's death, it was like, Every single person who wanted to buy this team wanted to move it, uh, except Tom Benson. And they didn't want the team to move, and so that was where they felt like New Orleans never got a fair shake. Well, New Orleans has gotten a fair shake now, and if people still don't care, uh, I don't think they're going to do any sort of protecting whenever this team goes up for sale again, unless people start to really care. And this becomes the type of market where people treat this team like they do the Saints and like they do LSU football and those kinds of things. We know what the city is capable of, what the state is capable of as far as passion. It's just a matter of harnessing it and getting people to actually feel like they're not going to they're not going to leave they're not going to freak out they're not going to you know abandon you and uh, i think 
you know, winning kind of cures all those things. And you've seen it at the bars. And you, I mean, I'm sure you've just seen your podcast numbers grow. I've yeah, seen it's, my it's, readership numbers grow. Yeah, when, when they're winning, people are more interested. And you and I were both at Fat Harry's for game one, and it was packed in there. And I got there about two hours before the game, and they already had the sound for the other playoff games on where you could go in and just listen and watch the games. And that's never the case in almost any bar here in New Orleans. No, exactly. It's a, it's a very big deal. Um, oh, Jake, I actually got to run. I uh, yep. sorry, some the, the daycare is calling. So no, that's more important. Thing. All right, Scott, thanks for coming yeah. on. All right, sorry about that. Real life always takes priority. So again, big thanks to Scott Kushner for coming on with me. Make sure you check him out over at the New Orleans Advocate. He's putting out great content. Everyone's putting out some really great Pelicans content right now, and it's a really happy thing to see. Speaking of good content, make sure you guys listen to Locked on NBA Daily. I co-host the Wednesday edition. Make sure you listen and subscribe to at least that, but Monday through Friday to catch up on everything that's going on around the NBA. So quickly, let's just talk about a few things to keep an eye out in Game 3. Again, these teams are playing a bit of a chess match. They're trying to counter each other as best they can, and Portland definitely came out on the short end of things in Game 2. Again, they didn't play Shabazz Napier because he got worked by Drew Holiday in Game 1, and it forced them to change the rotation up big time, and it still didn't work. So they're going to have to figure something out, and they need to figure something out to take advantage of certain lineups against the Pels here. The first thing that I think we're going to see them do is I think you're going to see Mo Harkless in the starting lineup. It's a guess. I don't know for sure. Um, I think it's going to be a bit interesting what they try and do. You need Harkless out there to at least create a matchup problem with the Pelicans there by putting him on the wing and a guy who's a good three-point shooter can at least make you pay when the ball gets out of uh, Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum's hands. You know, when they pass to a guy like Aminu or to Turner, Pels aren't worried about those guys. They're fine with it. You can stick a bad defender on there. That's cool. So the other situation would be now if you have Harkless out there, He's going to hurt you, and the Pelicans are going to need to kind of find a way to counter that, though I think they'll wait a little bit to see if he actually does. This is a guy coming back from surgery and injury. I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be a guy who should beat them. That's really what it's going to be. Basketball Reference also put something else up yesterday that was pretty interesting, where they had the on-off data for Game 2, and they do rotation visualizations um, every single game. Davis was plus eight on, and when he was off the court, it was plus one. That means that the Pelicans outscored the Blazers without Anthony Davis on the court. That's huge. Those Davis-less minutes are terrifying if you're a Pels fan. It's even scarier when it's both Davis and Holiday off. But when Davis is off and you're getting plus one out of the reserves there, that is a win for the Pels, and they will take that all day long. The Blazers need to find a way to punish the Pelicans when they don't have Anthony Davis on the court. Their bench has not done a very good job of doing that. You saw them in Game 1 do it, where they managed to really beat them up on the offensive glass, and that's where the majority of Portland's second-chance points came from that game, but they weren't able to do it in Game 2. Game 3 is really where they need to do that because, my goodness, do they need to get some scoring and beat Anthony Davis other ways because they're not beating him with him on the court currently. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. But if you take Harkless away from the bench, then all of a sudden he's hurting you there because you don't have that scoring punch. So maybe you stagger him a little bit more. Maybe you don't start him. As I'm saying this, I'm like trying to figure it out in my head here. You, you bring him in as the first sub early on to then maybe punish the Pels a little bit if you don't have Damian Lillard going and then he stays out there with the reserves. Just one thing to keep an eye on and how this is going to go because 
because this is, as Kushner said, this is a good team, and they're not just going to go quietly away, and they're going to keep trying to win and keep trying to play. And at a certain point, if they do start to break those traps, the Pelicans could get in a little bit of trouble, and they need to figure it out. So they need to just keep doing what they're doing right now because it's working, but be prepared to counter whether that means more Solomon Hill, more someone else. They're going to need those kind of minutes quality from guys upcoming in Game 3. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. It's a red out in the Smoothie King Center tonight as the Pelicans try to do it bigger. So it's going to be a lot of fun. First playoff home game in a number of years. Make sure you're there. There probably are ways to get tickets, though I know it's going to be a sellout. It's going to be loud. The atmosphere is going to be awesome, and I cannot wait. So enjoy the game tonight. Hopefully the Pelicans can get this and push it to 3-0. and No matter what, win or lose, I will be back with you all tomorrow to recap the game. <laughs>